Now entering Nerdist.com. Chew it with a guy named Kevin. Chew it. And this other guy, Steve. Chew it. From the TV and the movies. And now this podcast stream. Chew it. They're going to get chewy. Chew it. They might even get me. Chew it. But they're going to get funky on this podcast thing. Mm. Uh, what's up? What's up? What's what up? What is up, Kevin? How's it going? Heffernan. How's it going? Great. How are you doing? Great. What do you got? What are you chewing on? Uh, you know what I'm chewing? Yeah. I'm chewing steak. Woo-wee. I'm chewing steak. steak. I've been on right. a steak kick lately. Oh, you have been? Yeah. Okay, great. I've been eating so, all, kinds of, all kinds of steak. All right. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. What, what, what about you? What are you eating? Birthday cake. Really, yeah, Kev? I am. What kind of birthday cake? I had cake? some birthday cake left over from Monday. Okay. Because it was somebody's birthday Who's on Monday. Whose birthday <laughs> was it? Uh, Stephen Carlos Lemmy. Wow. It was his birthday. Wow. Uh, I won't say how old you turned. How delicious was that? Although, you know what? Something is funny, though. I posted on, you know, on the various social medias that you would hit uh, 65 was the new 45. Yeah. And there were like several people who there was like 65. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. They're like, like who no, literally man. believed it. Yeah. They're like, somebody <laughs> said, like, you don't look a day over 45. Yeah. Uh, like people were like, really? It would be weird if I was 65, wouldn't it? Why would someone ever think that you could possibly be 65 years old? Um, I don't know, man. You're so you're young at heart, Hollywood baby. Okay, I guess I'm, so. I'm right? in the entertainment uh, industry. It's my business to look young. I guess so. But let's not kid each other. I'm not in shape. Well, you know, I'm TV fat. But remember, it's all it's it's <laughs> your your television out of shape, right? Right. Well, no, I'm actually really out of shape. I guess. But and I actually really am overweight. But your thing is different. I have Kev. a boyish good look to me. But your thing is different. Kev. Thank you, Steve. Your thing is different. Thank you. Like. If you take away the belly, yeah, everything else is good. So what? I should get lipo. I get you some lipo. If you, I mean, because that's all it is, right? I mean, sure. like your ass and, and legs no are ass. magnificent. Yeah, no ass. You know, your face is just sturdy. strong legs. Thank you. Like you look like a young Jim Plunkett from the Oakland oh, Raiders. Thank you. Remember him? Yeah, squeezing out of his helmet. Yeah, he's forced that helmet it's on. Like with you a can't get that bar. helmet on that head. Yeah, it's just stuffed in there. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, like, you do your best. You exercise more than I do. I did. I exercised today. Did you? Yeah. Okay, good. Did you exercise on your birthday? Uh, what did you do on your birthday? Did you do anything? No, I didn't do shit. Why not? Because I'm working hard, Kev. Okay, we're, writing, we're doing some writing. Yeah, we're, we're doing some writing. We got, we got some scripts that we're working on. Okay, but, so, but what, you can't have a nice dinner or something? Or you can't? Truthfully, yeah. when I got back uh, from Syracuse, right. on Sunday, I, uh, we celebrated on Sunday. Ah, oh, I got you. Like, okay. uh. Well, it was funny, too, because like... So the uh, night before you celebrated. Well, what happened is I walked in the door and my kids ran up to me. They were like, happy birthday, daddy. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, thanks, kids. Thanks. And my wife was like, we thought it was today. What, your wife said that? Well, you, you don't... You, I don't know if you remember this, but last year... Yeah. When my dad was living with me... Right. And I came home... Yeah. And nobody said oh, they anything. forgot. They right. forgot. My right. wife and my father... Both forgot okay. my birthday. How does your wife not know what your birthday is? We talk, like I've got to remember everything. I'm dealing with some motherfucking kids. In our bitch. culture, Christmas comes on on December 24th. Yeah, in our culture, we celebrate the birthday whenever the fuck Mama wants to. Okay, it's kind of weird though. Every year, she forgets your birthday. She's, you know, it's funny. Is she, she a calendar? She has a really hard time with dates. Okay, like there are times where like. 
you know, we've got somebody coming to the the house, like the cable guy's coming right. tomorrow to fix the thing. Right. And she's like, when, ca- when that cable do coming again one more time? <laughs> and I'm like, tomorrow from noon to three. She's like, I ain't. Okay. And then like 10 minutes later, she's like, when you say, when he coming Fridays? I'm like, no, he's coming tomorrow. <laughs> like, all oh, right, that's right. You said that. All right. And then you know, right now she's like, I don't even know who she is. She's, well, it's good because she's not. She doesn't listen to this podcast, yeah, she so uh, she's not going to knife you. I liked. I liked uh, somebody on Twitter wrote like that time that she got on the mic. Yeah, right. Uh, that they got the shivers. They got a chill down their spine. I can hear that because it, it does feel that way. I, I was uh, I was loading it up and working on it and uh, hit, hearing the monotony of our voices. Yeah. For an hour. Sure. And then your wife's voice pops in for like just a sentence or two. Yeah. It was it was startling. It is startling. The, the truth of the matter is, and I've always I've remarked about this to my wife many times. Yeah. Her when you hear her voice, yeah, like on audio, it's lovely. Yeah. She has a lovely. She voice. has a very nice voice. She has a lovely voice. Yeah. Like I, like what it's it's like an angel song. <laughs> I'm going to tell her to listen to this episode. It's like an angel song. What? Uh, Miami style. Yeah, like hip hop, like like you know, like Mister Three Hundred Five was doing like Pitbull, right? Yeah. Like Pitbull Motherfucker. Angel. Right. Uh, I still, I'm surprised you forgot your birthday. Anyway, it happened. It happened. Don't worry. It happens a lot, I guess. That was every year. Is what it so far, like it two years in a row, oh she God. hasn't gotten it right. And by the way, and I told her this. Yeah. I told her this because like uh, the first year that we were dating. Yeah. On her birthday, I didn't get her a card. Right. We had just been dating for like 10 months at that point. Yeah. And she got really upset with okay. me. Okay. And she was like, just like, you know, like I never had a boyfriend who like. Did nice things for me. <laughs> She's like, just once I'd like somebody to give me a fucking card. Right. Just a card. Right. And so after that, I've always made cards. But I was like, listen, sure. you, make, you made such a big deal it's about it. It's a two-way street. You know, you can't. Because last year, I was, I was like, you remember what a hard time you gave me when I. That street go both ways. Yeah, man. All right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So I don't even know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that you forgot your birthday. But, but happy uh, birthday. Let me begin some plugging here, okay. Steve, as we like to do. Yeah. We just finished a stretch of shows. We got a little little break here for the Thanksgiving holiday, mm-hmm. and then we're going to go back and uh, do some nice shows in December and January. Yeah. Uh, so let me run through them real quick so that the uh, Chew Crew knows. Do it. Great Chew Crew uh, uh, turnout. But let's, oh my we'll, God. I'll talk about that in a second. I'll talk oh about my God. Um, December, December seventh, eighth, and ninth, Florida will be the Palm Beach Improv. December seventh, eighth, and ninth. That's West Palm Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. The next weekend. We have a little bit of a, a little tour going on. We're going to start on December 14th on a Thursday. We're going to go to Bakersfield, the Tembler Brewery. Oh, man. I loved our gig there. Uh, like, Had a great time. Yeah. Uh, strong beer they got up there. But uh, we can't do a lot of drinking that night because the next morning we leave bright and early because we're going to Michigan. Yep. We're going to Pontiac, Michigan, the Crowfoot. Uh, That's December 15th, Friday night at the Crowfoot in Pontiac, Michigan. Then the next night, we're zipping down to Oklahoma, mm. West Siloam Springs, yeah. Oklahoma. The Cherokee Casino. Um, we're going to be down there Saturday night, December 16th. So the 14th in Bakersfield, the 15th in Pontiac, Michigan, and the 16th in West Siloam Springs. I'm looking forward to all those gigs. I'm yeah. especially looking forward to going to the Crowfit just because we've never been there before. I know. I love going to new places. It's great. Yeah. It's great. And so um, if you go to heffernandlemmy.com, there are links for all the tickets. So go on there and get the links. And let me just announce this uh, January weekend, which is all set now, too. Yeah. Shall I do that? Do it. There, we have we have some things in January. I mean, I think we're, I think it's set. 
that we're going to go to Sketchfest on January 20th in San Francisco. Yep. I'm still waiting on the details on that. We're but, going. But January, Saturday, January 20th, we're going to go to Sketchfest with all the Broken Lizard guys. Yeah. We're going to do a little Super Troopers. Then in Meow, I think they're calling it. Is that what it is? Yeah. And okay. so uh, I think we're going to be at Cobbs on January 20th. We'll be sure to tell you about that. But the next weekend, we got another little tour we're going to do. A uh, little, little, uh, little Midwest tour we got going. Uh, on Thursday, January 25th, we're going to be in Columbus at the Lincoln Theater. The next night, Friday night, January 26th, we'll be at Bogarts in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, January 27th, the next night, we're going to be in Milwaukee at the Turner Hill Ballroom. Yeah. So we got January 25th, 26th, 27th. We got Columbus, Ohio, Cincy, Ohio, and Milwaukee. Exciting. Great. It'll be super fun shows. That's fun. Uh, I think the, the Cincy ticks are on, on sale already, but the other ones aren't. But I'll put all the stuff up on HeffernandLemmy.com and... Uh, we can get our tickets for that, and uh, you can come see us. Because we had a great time. We had a good time in Syracuse. A lot of Chew Crew came out. A lot of Chew Crew. Um, a lot of hugs given. A lot of hugs, boy. And uh, we had those guys. We had Dan. Yep. Dan Grant. Yep. Uh, and his buddies, Brad and Tom, I think the it is. Canadians. The Canadians. They came from Toronto. Yeah, they rode They trip. drove from Toronto to come to the show. Like a four-and-a-half-hour drive, I think. Because they're Chew Crew. Yeah. And they wanted their hugs. Yeah, they got their hugs. They got the hugs. We had a few laughs. We shared a beer. They went to the local beer joint, bought the six of the shittiest beers they could find. Yeah, and, gave them and then we shared them all. It's funny, too, because they said, uh, they, I mean, they knew what they were talking about. They said, yeah. here's one thing we know for sure, eh? Your Friday night, <laughs> we know that's your go out night, eh? All right. So here we are. So let's go out. Right. Or go out. Go out. Go out. Yeah. But we weren't going out because we had a lot of work to do the next yeah, day. Yeah, we got up. But to uh, do some we work. still had a beer with them. We did. We had a beer. Great guys. Great guys and great fans. And. We're very thankful that they, they showed were up. They nice uh, Finkelstein uh, and Landfill t-shirts that they had made up. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, guys. And then um, Josiah Osakowitz came. Josiah Osakowitz came. Yeah. And he gave us some gifts, brought some nice gifts. He gave us some also. Yankees hats, and then he, he gave me a box of saltwater taffy oh. from Rehoboth Beach. Did you eat it? No. He, he knows I don't like those things. <laughs> he knows I don't like them, but he got them for me anyway. But that's what you should give your wife when you come home. Honey, I got you a gift. Did. Oh, saltwater taffies. I did, I did. I love this I shit. Said, I said, here, I got you guys a gift. Reminds me of my youth. My youth. <laughs> Holy shit. Saltwater taffy from Rehoboth? Oh, man. Your wife loves that shit, up bro. mug motherfuckers up there. Uh, but anyway, a lot of great hugs and uh, good time. Great shows in Syracuse, man. Yeah. Really good. Good room, good fun. Yeah, good times. I got a little salty with our waiter, though, at that... Uh, you restaurant, did. remember? You did. Oh, you snapped hard. I don't. Uh, I feel bad about it in retrospect, but I, I think it was justified. Let's uh, I, let's talk about that story. Okay. But let's take care of a little something special first. Okay. While we're on the topic of steakhouses and food, we got a new sponsor on the Chew. Mm-hmm. Omaha Steaks. I love it. That's right in our wheelhouse. I love it. You know how good steaks are. So good. Weren't you just saying that you like steak? I. I'm, I've been on a steak kick, and it's because of the Omaha Steak people. Okay, well, are you struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who has it all? I was. The holidays are fast approaching. Fast approaching. And you can order gifts for everyone on your list with the click of a mouse at Omaha Steaks. You can get the perfect gift and avoid the malls and the lines and the crowded restaurants. Thank, you can avoid it all. Thank goodness. And they send you a package yeah. 
with all this stuff in it. To your house. We got packages like that. We sure did. The truth is, my father-in-law sent me this package. He sends me this package every year. Oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm going to get it twice now, because Omaha Steaks sent me one. Don't tell them that. Then, they, then Omaha Steaks won't send you the good one. They'll, they already sent it. Got it. Okay. I got it already. I okay. got it already. And it's fantastic. Like So right off the bat, we cooked up the, uh, the kielbasa. Ah. The sausages that came in. This Boy, thing. I thought it's Omaha steaks. They it said, is. They, they sent other stuff too, right? Although they send chicken, they I send know. sausages, they send right. they send they burgers, send it all. they send desserts, potatoes au gratin, potatoes. Like my kids, I, don't, I have little kids at home. Yeah, and they're like generally squeamish about eating things. Right. I cooked up the uh, the filet mignon. Yeah. That come with this package. Yeah. And uh, I got both my kids to try steak for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. Once they're in, then you're in good shape. Anyway, I've loved this for years since my father-in-law has been sending it to me. Yeah. And now that uh, Omaha Steaks is one of our sponsors, they sent it, they sent it early. For only forty nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. you can get the family gift pack when you go to Omaha Steaks. That's the same thing you got. That's the same thing I got. That's exactly right. So you go to omahasteaks.com, you enter the code CHEW, C-H-E-W, in the search bar, and you get 75% off. CHEW, that is an easy code to remember. C-H-E-W, 75% off. And this is what you get for less than $50. Here we go. Brace yourself. Two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steaks seasoning packet, plus... An additional four kielbasa sausages free of charge. Again, you go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code CHEW in the search bar, and get a 75% savings. It is the gift guaranteed to be a hit. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it is funny because you, speaking of, of steak, you snapped hard on our waiter in, uh, in Syracuse. I felt it was somewhat justified. To be fair to you. Yeah. Uh, we had... I won't name the hotel we were staying in. Don't need to. But we had uh, we went there for breakfast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, they had the breakfast buffet. Right. We got back from press and we stopped in for breakfast. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to come right out and say it. The service was not good. It was terrible. I mean, I, I, it was like there was no one in charge, you know. Yeah. And um, and the guy was nice, a nice guy, and there, the people were nice enough, but it just... There seemed to be no one in charge who was yeah. getting them to do the things that needed to be done. Yeah. You know now, this mean? was in the morning. It was, it was within our control because we just went to the buffet. And it, it, that's the thing. It's a breakfast buffet. Yeah. It's not like they have to do anything except yeah. to make sure you have some water and juice. And they didn't do that. Like, I, we, I ate my entire meal and then finally stood up and went and go found, like, a carafe of water. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, okay, all right, whatever. It's yeah. breakfast. Okay. So we'll go there for dinner. So we just went there for dinner because it was convenient, and the menu looked pretty good. We, we were getting picked up for our shows. We had like 40, 45 minutes. Yeah. I sat down with 40 minutes yeah. to go ahead of pickup time. Yeah. And took a while to get the order taken, whatever. Finally, the order got taken. You know, we ordered some beers, mm-hmm. asked for some water. Yeah. Soups. We ordered soups. And steaks. And steaks. And so, you know, 40 minutes, you figure, ah, I hope. You know, hope we have time to get all that. Maybe forty-five, right? About fifteen minutes go by. There's, there's not, there's no water. There's nothing. And so I said to the guy, "Hey, can we?" I started to get up. I was, like, "Hey, can we get some water?" Yeah. And beer, beers or whatever. He's like, "Yep, yep, yep, sure, yep." And then we sit back down and we're talking. We start rehearsing our show. Yeah. And all I could think of in my mind was like, "What the fuck? Where is this? Yeah. How hard is it to get a fucking beer for somebody?" Yeah. So twenty-five minutes go by, nothing. Now, by the way, by the way, in case you people think. That this these waiters or this waiter was slammed. That the restaurant was busy. It wasn't. <laughs> there was four tables taken yeah. up, and there were two waiters for four tables. Yeah, 
So whatever. So now 25 minutes go by. No, not even a water fill. Not a gla- not, no one came out and poured water in our glasses. Yeah. And no beer. And then you know you still have to get soup and steaks and eat them all, and you get 15 minutes. A lot of times in a lousy restaurant, they'll bring those soups out, because the soup is already hot. Yeah. They'll bring those soups out before you get your drinks, and you're like, okay, well, you know, here we go. Well, that's fine. Yeah. At least you got something going in your belly. <laughs> right. Something wet. They didn't even fill the water glass. Yeah. So finally, I was like, fuck it. I mean, we got 15 minutes. We're, we're getting picked up. Got to go do our show. Yeah. Have got, have got one thing out. Yeah. I, I stood up, and I went over to the guy, and I was like, I don't know what the problem is. I mean, it's not like it's crowded here, you know? Yeah. He's like, oh, sorry. Did you not get your beers? I was like, no. Yeah. I didn't get my beers. I was like, cancel the beers. Cancel the whole order. We yeah. got to go. He's like, wait, what? And I was like, cancel it. Just cancel it. Yeah. So uh, we started walking out, and then I walked by. I was walking out. I was like, that's not, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. They yeah. need to know. Yeah. Somebody in charge needs to know so that they don't treat people that way, and they do a better job at their restaurant. Yeah. So I went back inside. Yeah. And I found somebody, and I, I thought maybe she was the manager, but I, I think she was a manager in the hotel, yeah. not necessarily in the restaurant. And so did she? I told her what happened. Yeah. She's like, I'm really sorry, sir. Um, you know, and the waiter saw me talking to her. He walks over. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why the beers didn't come out. I was like, well, look, nothing came out. We yeah. didn't get a glass of water. Now I got to go. And did any customers uh, come in while you were there? A couple of customers were standing there, like, waiting, and I was like, but I was like, just know what you're in for here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so you warned them off. Well, I don't know. They probably ate there anyway. I was like, yeah. and they stood there. They were there, and they witnessed me having this conversation with the manager. Right. So then I felt kind of bad, and then uh, the the manager, the restaurant manager, eventually did come out to us while we were waiting for our pickup. Yeah. He apologized, and I was like, "Look, yeah, just I mean, but there's got to be someone in charge. Yeah, especially if you're charging thirty bucks for a steak or whatever. You know, it's not like it was like a McDonald's or anything. It was like you know, it's a decent restaurant. Yeah. Well, it's like you know, you're. The name above the door is like written in cursive, and it's a fancy name. <laughs> it's got it white tablecloths. You're gonna get a nice yeah. meal. You got a spiral staircase in the middle of the restaurant. Like <laughs> right. I've waited tables before, and we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, you can't get in the weeds with less than four tables. Yeah, you know, and, not possible. Yeah, and and if you are, it means you've been poorly trained. And so the 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 upside of it was we got back that night from the shows. Yeah. And that same manager was there. Yeah. And he came up to us. He's like, guys, you know, I'm really sorry about what happened before. I'm going to send some complimentary buckets of beer up to your room. Yeah. And we're like, all right. Yeah. Because we were going to go up and do a little work anyway. Yeah. And uh, we're like, okay, thank you. Thank you. That's very nice of you. And they did. And they did. Sent us a a couple of buckets of beer. Yeah. Although Michelob Ultra was one of the buckets. And that's not. This is one of the ones. I'm not a big Michelob Ultra drinker. And I, I had some. I had a couple of them. And they're not that good. Yeah. And it was funny because. They're not cause that good. The other bucket was Sam Adams Lager, which was the <laughs> beer that I had ordered at dinner. Right. Right. And so, you know, he. <laughs> I felt that those were my beers. But the reality the is. Ultras were your beers. If you're, you're looking at the two of us <laughs> and you're sending two buckets of beer up. Yeah. And they're like, who got the Sam Adams and who got the Michelob Ultra? Right. You would be the Michelob Ultra guy. Well, on the other hand, you could make the case that they were like, who needs the Ultra? That's not what I said. That's, that's what, not uh, what I let's said. Let's send it to, to that guy. That's a different thing. Because they said, the guy said, I know you ordered a Sam Adams, so we'll give you a bucket of Sam Adams. No, no he didn't say, and I know you, you ordered a Sam Adams. Oh, you weren't even there. I know, but we ordered. How would he know you ordered the Sam Adams? Would it be, say, Steve? Yeah, because the, the waiter the was, like, was like the thin guy ordered the <laughs> yeah, Sam Adams. Right, right. I, don't, I can't remember what the <laughs> right. big guy had because I'm, I'm not a savvy, <laughs> sure. sharp person. <laughs> sure. And they said he probably ordered a light beer. He probably ordered the Michelob Ultra. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. If Throw he saw a that bucket of that menu, together. He's probably dying to have that thing. <laughs> the least amount of calories. 
But I did have some Michelob Ultra. It's yeah. not that great. It's fine for you know what it was. It's I guess so, but like you know. But when you juxtapose it with there the same are any number of light beers that are better than that beer. Yeah, God, I hope Mick Ultra isn't planning on being our our sponsor because they're like, <laughs> you know what, we're uh, going to pull our sponsorship. Hey, you know what? Go fuck yourself, you guys. Yeah. We were going to give you, you unlimited lifetime supply of Mick Ultra. <gasps> I would then go out and destroy all my <laughs> bottles of Mick Ultra in protest. You would. You throw them off the thing. Yeah. You smash them. Yeah. I go buy a case of it just so I could smash it. Yeah, I'd spend my hard-earned dollar on it and <laughs> smash it because I'm so mad. They pulled my sponsors. <laughs> All right. Um, waiting tables, right? Oh, man. It's a hard job. Speaking Kevin. of waiting tables, Lemmy. It's a hard job. We were, uh, when we were in Syracuse, uh, uh, a lot of, got a lot, of, a lot of compliments on the Slammin' Salmon, our movie, The Slammin' Salmon. Yep. And, you know, it's funny because, like, you travel around and you get a lot of compliments uh, uh, on that movie, which is, I, 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 th- I feel like it's one of our less, lesser known movies. Like, people are, are more familiar with Super Troopers and Beer Fest. And Club Dread than Slam and Salmon, and um, so I, we talked about maybe giving it some love today on the podcast. Well, I mean, the thing is that's interesting about it is similar to Super Troopers. The release got you know messed up, and we'll talk about that. But it's been a slow burn. Yeah. And slowly throughout the last couple of years, we do these live shows. More and more people come up to us and they say, "Slam and Salmon," I actually think it's your best movie. Yeah. And I certainly can't dis. I mean, I love all the movies. Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, I, I can't say if one is better than the other. I love Slam and Salmon. Yeah, me too. And I, I think Slam, Slam and Salmon, I think, is different than all our other movies. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, like, truthfully, like, I always think it's funny because, like, it is kind of a parlor comedy. It is a parlor comedy. It is. Um, and by design. Yeah. By design. But no, it's no, not, like, people the way running we shot in and out of doors. Yeah. Like, they could make a Broadway show out of the Slam it and Salmon. It could easily be a stage show. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, I guess the overview. So Slam and Salmon was the movie we made after Beer Fest, the Brooklyn Lizard film we made after Beer Fest, right? Yeah. And, um... Basically, the premise is it's one night in a restaurant, a seafood restaurant. And the restaurant's owned by a crazy celebrity. Yeah. Uh, and it's essentially a boxer who's kind of a, based on Mike Tyson, just a crazy person. And he is the boss, and he establishes this contest. And so it's, uh, the contest is top-selling waiter uh, gets 10000 bucks, and the lowest-selling waiter that night gets the shit beaten out of him by the champ. Right. And so it's a one night in a restaurant contest movie. Yeah. And uh, and then it's just the wheels are set in motion and it just goes. Yeah. The reason we wrote it was because for years and years and years, everyone waited tables. You waited tables for a long time. And it's just a, it's just one of those things where you write what you know and you collected these stories for years. Well, it's funny because I remember like when we first decided to write it, it was after Club Dread had come out and didn't do well at the box office. Yeah. And we decided that we were going to regroup and come back unbelievably strong. Right. And we were going to write uh, three different scripts. Yes. We were going to write a, a, a movie that we could shoot independently yep. on a lower budget. A super low budget. We were going we to write a middle range movie. Yep. And then a big budget movie. Yeah. And so this was the low budget right. uh, script that we wrote. And we're talking about under five, under three, whatever it was going to be. Yeah. Whatever we could raise. So that, that was part of the intention of... Of keeping contained in one location for one night. Yeah, you're in one location, and hence the the parlor comedy. Yeah, uh, is born because it's just you know you really you are on one set, and within that set there are just a couple of different locations, and it is people running around furiously in this contest. And it was funny because like we had all waited tables, and one thing in common, all these places always had a crazy owner. Yeah, you know, like like Jay and Stolhansky and I waited tables uh, in New York City at a place called Busby's up right. on. Which doesn't exist anymore, so you can speak freely. It doesn't exist anymore. It's up on 92nd in Madison. Yeah. It was on the corner there. It's funny. All you guys on the same staff 
on the floor at the same time. Yeah, in a and by restaurant. the way, there were it's like the movie. There were four other guys that we went to Colgate. Right, with. like college buddies. It was all college buddies. In fact, Zach Chapman, who's in Puddle Cruiser, he right. was the captain of the rugby team. He yeah. was he was in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, a guy named Dave Hedgepath, who yeah. uh, we had a character named Dean Hedgepath in Puddle Cruiser, uh-huh. named after. Anyway. Seven of us, yeah, uh, all waited tables at that place, Busby's together, and there were great. We had two great owners that were that were characters, yeah, uh, in that. And then uh, you know at City Crab where I waited tables, we had a couple of owners, and you know one of them was a bombastic fellow. <laughs> right. And so I remember like the like the first incarnation of this, we were like, wh- like what kind of an owner? We need a crazy owner. We need a crazy owner. And I think the very first idea that was riffed out there was like maybe it's like a mob boss owns a restaurant, right? An Italian right. restaurant. And then, of course, and this is just the riffing process, we decided, you know, we thought it would be funnier if he was even crazier. What if it was a Mike Tyson kind of guy? Like a guy who could physically kick your ass. Sure. Who was already sort of mentally infantile. Right. Who was also capable of just flying off the handle. Yep. And and very whimsical. (laughs) And But larger than life. Yeah, and impulsive. Yeah. And that was the champ. And if it was that guy. And so you... you you Walk the line of being at work and not knowing what's going to happen next and fearing for your life. <laughs> yeah. And what kind of character could put you into that world? And the idea was if you work for Mike Tyson, that you could be in that world. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, that was, and that, the funny thing then was that once we settled that, that idea, uh, when we wrote the movie, I, I actually felt it was one of our most improvisational writing processes. Yeah, yeah. Because we knew, you know, we knew the champ had to be a large Mike Tyson-like fellow. Terrifying, yep. And then the only way we could really get into character was to riff as Mike Tyson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so you had five guys, the five of us, every night for months. Sure. Because, you know, to write these scripts, it takes a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because we do draft after draft. But I think we had a phenomenal time writing this. We laughed our asses off. We did, because you, you just find yourself in the Mike Tyson voice, and then you'd be writing... That dialogue, you know, and the dialogue would just come out, and it, it would be colorful and fun. It's like, if it's the but we can't eat the nuts, we don't have a Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, and talk about, you know, you know, yeah, the maraschino cherries. I want extra maraschino cherries on everything. By the way, did you know the maraschino cherries, they were, they were, they were the, uh, named after the famous boxer Rocky Maraschino? <laughs> and, like, I mean, we would just riff and riff and riff about these things, and everybody was doing their Mike Tyson impressions. And, of course, it's funny, like, you do a Mike Tyson impression, Sometimes it goes off the rails. <laughs> right. Like every now and then, like like sometimes the champ would get sad. Yeah, and then he would sound a little bit like uh, like uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> right. my, my impression of him was like, right. I remember one riff. It, it, it was like, you ever notice how sometimes you uh, you know you eat a, a whole jar of pistachio nuts, and then uh, they're all delicious, but then you get to the last one, and, and the last one just tastes awful. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. It, it's like bad. It's like bad stand up. Yeah, and I do Mike Tyson. I sometimes do a Mike Tyson. I know. In my, in Always, and comedy. some of these riffs turned into that a little bit. Yeah, but they were great. Like we did the uh, we had the meat drapes riff. Yeah, I mean that was just something we were riffing on. Sure, Midropodies. Sure, meat drapes. Why does it sound like that when I say it? Yeah, uh, the 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 wiki wiki the uh, <laughs> when he was rapping, like him rapping. We do that a lot, and then we made up like opponents that he had. We would talk about. Ridiculous, you know, like I would train with a baby camel strapped to my back. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and then we were just coming up with rhymes like we went and looked at synonyms for fight, fracas, <laughs> Af- <laughs> an affray. So it was like, and then we rhymed everything. It was like the fracas in Caracas, <laughs> the affray in Bombay, all that stuff, you well, know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and so you, you combined that character with those waiting stories and then this premise, and then yeah. it started to kind of take. Take shape, you know. So it came time where we had finished the script, 
And and what happened was we had the other script. So we did Beer Fest first. Yeah. And then we were trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And then what happened was the writer strike was yeah. looming. And that was like 2008. And and the whole town shut down for about four or five months. Yeah. Like all shows went out of production. Nobody was allowed to make anything. No one was allowed to write anything in the studio system. And we looked at that maybe as an opportunity. And, and our kind of white knight, the guy who put the money up for Super Troopers, Pete Langell, we had been talking with him. And he was like, you know, this might be a good time to make an independent film because there's going to be a lull in production. So there will be less product out there. Let's go forward and let's let's make this movie. Yeah. And so we, we went into an accelerated uh, pre-production, which was fun because we had been trying for a long time to get to get the funding put together to, just to make this movie, which yeah. is what the way it works always. Remember, we would go to meetings with financiers and all kinds of folks, and then finally he just came in. It's like, let's shoot this movie. Yeah. And we're like, fucking great. Well, and that was the thing, too, is that, like, you know, there was some internal debate about this movie. Like, oh, well, it's... You know, it's, are you taking a step back? I mean, the last movie we had made was Beer Fest, which is a, a bigger budget. What are we going to do next? And this was something, you know, we had written it, like I said, after Club Dread, because we didn't know what we were going to do next. We, we didn't even know if we were going to ever make a, a big budget movie yeah. again. And so this was something we kept holding in our back pocket uh, as something like, it was the rainy day movie. It was, yeah. In case, just in case. Yeah. And, and the just in case... You know, I mean, luckily we made Beer Fest, and the just in case kind of came in, it really came in the form of the strike. And it yeah, was like, all right, it was well, a writer's we, strike, yeah. We can do this. Yeah, and so we, we, we were able to line up the money through Pete, and, and um, you know, he put together some other investors, and we went. And uh, then, so at the time, uh, you know, Jay had directed all those movies up to, all of our movies up to then. He was, because it happened so quickly, he was committed to make another movie. And so he couldn't commit to the directing. Yeah. Because, uh, he could commit to the acting because the acting is, is you know obviously uh, you know more in the kind of four to five week commitment. Directing is kind of like a six in this in a budget like this. It's like a six to eight month commitment. Yeah, which he couldn't do. So anyway, we internally talked about it, and then uh, we decided that I would direct it. And so um, I I made my directorial debut. Yes, with the Slam and Salmon. You're very well prepared, Kev. Thanks, man. Um, Thank you. It's funny because it, one of your first. <laughs> big decisions was that uh i was lobbying to play the champ yeah because i think it i think it was felt that uh although i tended to veer off into uh into woody allen territory sure. I, I think it was felt that that my mike tyson impression i had channeled mike tyson you were always you had the best mike tyson and in our riffs you were the best mike tyson riffer there's no <laughs> question about it and the other funny thing was at the time i think it was right around the time that um uh, Tropic Thunder oh, right. had come out, right? Yes. And so there was this whole thing where Robert Downey Jr. played the black guy and uh, how that worked out. And it kind of gave it gave you more license to make that argument of like, hey, let's put me in a prosthetic thing and I'll be the champ. Uh, because, you know, the reality is the original thing we would have... I mean, that character is so unique that you realize that you write it, and then what the hard part is to cast it, right? Right. Because your first thought is, oh, let's go try to get Mike Tyson, but he's crazy enough that you can't even... Like, my brother made a movie with him, and they they never knew he was going to show up on the set, you know what yeah. I mean? They couldn't get the insurance bond in order to shoot the guy, because that's the way he is. So to think that he's going to be the central main character of that movie, he was off the table. And so now you have to find out who it is. Yeah. And so you were like, well, hey... In the in the in the in the vein of sketch comedy movies, in the vein of comedy, how about if I play that character? Yeah, and I said, "We'll do the Robert Downey Jr. Right. We'll put me on platform shoes. We'll get me like 
one of the, one of those like Batman, you know, uh, like bodies, like a muscle suit, <laughs> and I'll do it. And I I know Jay was on my side. Sure, he, he and like, I said no fucking way. Yeah, no fucking way. <laughs> the, the the other interesting thing about this too was that like something that a lot of people were mentioning to us, and we knew this while we were writing it. We had never made a movie where we weren't really the the big lead characters. Yeah. And this is a situation... I guess so. I mean, I mean, Coconut Pete was a similar kind of a person to Yeah, to but this champ. was one where, like, we were aware... I mean, the champ had giant chunks of dialogue. Yes, huge monologues. And they were things like, you know... Like, huge you know, flights of fancy. Yeah, I bought, uh, I bought a lot of... I'm a little, uh, I'm a little cash, cash flow negative <laughs> right now because I bought a lot of property on, on Marth right next to John Travolta. <laughs> right. You know, and like... Right, right. There were, I mean, but there were, there were massive, That's right. massive monologues for this yeah. guy. And so the guy needed to be a, a, an actor, yeah. uh, well, but also had to have the look and the intimidation and whatever. And, yeah. and then you said, I'll do it. And, and my first inclination is like, no, no way. No fucking way. Because then, to me, my argument was right. that it becomes a, a sketch. It becomes a Saturday Night Live sketch. Sure. As opposed to having someone be- that you believe could yes. kill you. In retrospect, Kev, I think you made the wrong decision. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you know, I definitely don't think so. Whatever. No, uh, I know. No, Michael Clark Duncan showed up. I mean, you, we couldn't have asked for a better. Well, there was only there were only really like I don't know, maybe four or five guys in our mind. You make, you make a list, and it was, and we we made a list of the guys like Terry Crews and Ving Rhames and, and Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah, there's only a few guys that you can get, and so we went after Michael, um, and. Uh, it was surprise because we didn't know like like Michael you know he was nominated for an Academy Award in the Green Mile yeah and but he he didn't necessarily do a lot of comedies he had just done Talladega Nights yeah. right around that time and I think Jay emailed Adam McKay and was like hey how did how did Mike do with this and he, Adam McKay says he's great he's great yeah and so we we went after Michael and but we still don't know because when you when you watch Talladega Nights I mean you're looking at Will Ferrell yeah it's those John guys C. Riley and it's yeah. like. The question is, can he keep up with those guys? And, yeah. and Adam McKay was like, oh, yeah, 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 he's fine. But you don't even see that in the movie, really. No. You know what I mean? And so we're like, okay. Uh, and so um, we made the offer to him. Yeah. And then he checked up on us. Yeah. So he talked to Monique yep. from Beer Fest, and he talked to Paxton. Yeah. And he's like, who are these guys? What's the deal with these guys? Yeah. Because he, the other thing, he had never even made a low-budget movie before. Right. Like, he was, he had made, like, you know... Uh, the Green Mile and then the fucking uh, Armageddon. Oh, and, yeah. You know, he's using these gigantic Talladega yeah, Nights. Daredevil. The whole nine yards. <laughs> right. And so he's like, who are these guys? Blah, blah, blah. And I got on the phone with him before he agreed to do it. And he was like, just tell me uh, what your vision is. And I said, you know, here's what we look. You know, we love this guy. It's a parlor comedy. Yeah. And then, and then he was like, all right, well, what I really want to know is, are you going to protect me? And I was like, uh... What do you mean? He goes, he goes I'm going to hang myself out here and, and doing this part, and you, it, could, it could screw me. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I need to know that, uh, that you know what you're doing and it's going to protect me. And I'm like, of course. Yeah, of course, uh, Michael. Yeah, well, sure. I'll protect you. It's funny because <laughs> your, your Michael Clark Duncan impression right now, I think right now you're doing the best one you've ever done. Really? Well, Thank you. every like, couple of seconds I hear you Almost hit that register. Well, I can't. He's that lower too, register. It's too low. That voice of his is so it's too low. Low. What a guy. B- by the way, I just want to um, uh, take a moment here to 
say, I think I, I want you to go back and listen because I think when you said Robert Downey Jr., yeah, I think you said Robert Downer Jr. I did. I just want you to go back and check. Okay, I will. I'll that. check it out. Robert I Downey said, Jr. I think you said Robert Downer Jr. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, he, so, but he was the he was the linchpin to it because we knew that we could do it and 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 we knew what the parts were. And we wrote and. But that was that unique character that if you can't pull that off, then you're kind of fucked. Well, because, I mean, you know, you were talking about different actors. Uh, even, like, we were talking about, like, Eddie Murphy doing, like, you know, he'd be more of, like, a Billy Ray Valentine, like a, a lighter weight boxer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was amazing because it's like once we got Michael for that role, it was like, okay, we got the champ. Holy yeah. shit. But the interesting thing is this, though. He was shooting another movie. It was like a Martin Lawrence movie. Roscoe's something. Oh, Welcome Back. Rock, welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And so... um he couldn't come and meet with us to rehearse, yeah. which is a huge problem because we didn't even know how, how he was going to do it. Like, we had done a bunch of auditions, and we knew that there were people who, who liked doing the Mike Tyson voice and who didn't like it or, yeah. or couldn't do it or didn't want to do it, and they wanted to do their own voice. And that was fine because that's interesting. And so we had no idea. He, he ended up just showing, literally showing up on set. Like, there was not like a, hey, let's meet the day before. Yeah. He literally showed up on set, and we yeah. had no idea how he was going to do it. Yeah. And it was it was the first the first scene we shot with him, I think was actually that scene where he's standing at the board looking at it, and it's it's an, one of the ultimate parlor comedy scenes because people are just crossing through, yeah. like uh, like April Bobby crossed through with the burnt face, and he's got a comment about that, and Soder crosses through with the blue lips, he's got a comment about that. So anyway, he walked on the set, and we weren't really sure like what what he was going to have, yeah. and then he he did that first scene, and he was on it. He was so on it. Oh, yeah. Like, he came in and he fucking drilled it. And he improvised. Like, he didn't even stop. Like, after he delivered the lines that were scripted, he just kept going. Yeah. In his own way. And, like, you're, holy shit, he's, he's doing it. He's yeah. improvising. He's going fucking crazy. Yeah. To the point where, as a director, I was afraid to stop him. Yeah. Because I didn't want him to beat the shit out of me. I had just met him. Yeah. And I would be like, cut! You know? And he's yeah. like, why'd you cut? You know, like you don't want to do that, right? So you're just going with him. But and he delivered again. It's like and the the scene you're talking about is when he's looking at the at the board. He's looking at the Shango Sherbert. You, you know, he's like Shango. What what's Shango? What's Shango? What's that that name of ice cream? Was that that sounds like a Sherbert? Shango Sherbert. Ooh, I think I'll have some of that. I had a lawyer. I had a lawyer named Shango named Sherbert one time, and like the fact that he was improvising on top of something that had already been improvised and riffed upon was incredible to us. Yeah, and on that first day, we knew we had something spectacular with this guy. Yeah, the guy was so good; he he was better than we could have ever imagined. And and then you know he just did riff, you know, and uh, and he became uh, a guy that we really loved hanging out with too, because he was a little bit like that character in real life, you know. Yeah, he's super intimidating. But the funny thing too, also, was with that voice of his, him doing doing all the infantile, insane dialogue that we had written. Yeah. Was hilarious because it wasn't Mike Tyson. Now it was just a big, tough dude with the <laughs> lowest voice ever. <laughs> right. And he's insane. Yeah. I mean, he punches the swordfish, and he, <laughs> I mean, yeah. The the scene in the in in his office with the lineup of the waiters. It's just he's he was fucking on fire. Yeah. He was so good. Yeah. And he just drilled it every single time. You know. Yeah. I mean, we were. That's one of the ones we're on the line, and we were just dying. We're all supposed to be terrified, and he was being hysterical. And when it comes, when it's all said and done, I mean, I, I like. You look at his body of work, and it, he's done great movies, but it's certainly a unique character that he's played. The work he did in Slam and Salmon, I think, is the best work he's ever done. Yeah, you're right. And, like, you know, not a lot of people have seen the movie, but if, if they do, when, whenever everybody who comes up to us is like, 
I love Slam and Salmon, or I think Slam and Salmon is the best movie you've done, it immediately goes to like, and Michael Clark Duncan. People are yeah. like, unbelievable. 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 And it was so fun, I mean, to get, get to know him and hear some of his crazy, he's got all kinds of crazy stories. and Yeah, well... Um, and uh, he was, you know, he had an interesting sense of humor. He did. He did have an interesting sense of humor. Like he didn't, he didn't mind pushing the envelope of fear. Yeah. Uh, uh, in order to achieve comedy. Yeah. In real life. In real life. I mean, for, he was he, his game. Yeah. Was can you defend yourself? Yeah. So like I, I'd be talking to him as a director, and in the middle of the conversation we'd be having, you know, prior to shooting, he would stop. He goes, "Let me stop you right there." And I was like, well, "What's up?" He goes. If I attacked you right now, could you defend yourself? And I was like, <laughs> um, what? He's like, if I attacked you right now, could you defend yourself? And I was like, seriously, Michael? And then he'd say it again, and he'd say it again to the point where, and then all of a sudden he'd break out laughing, yeah. you know? And you're like, <laughs> and you're trying to catch your breath, and yeah. you're like, holy shit. And he told us stories. Like, he told us a story about how, like, he was at, like, a meeting it was a kind of a roundtable thing, and like it was either a director, or a producer, or, or a studio executive had kind of offended him. Yeah, and then he played the "Could you defend yourself?" Well, he did that for us too. And then he did it for us. He did it for us because when we were done uh, shooting the movie, we had such a great time, and it really lent itself. We thought the movie lent itself to a TV show, you know. Yeah. And so Mike was like, "Let's do a TV show of it." And we're like, "Great, let's do it." And so we went around town, pitched. And when you don't, you know, we've talked this before, but you go pitch, you go in the room, you do a little song and dance, you do that. And so Michael came with us to all the pitches. Yeah. And we'd show some clips from the movie. And um, and so I, I think we were at ABC, and uh, which was one of our last pitches. And he's like, uh, I'm kind of bored of this. I want to mix it up. And we're like, no, just stay the course, Mike. We're in yeah. good shape. Because we know. Yeah. He goes, no, no. He's like, I think, I think we should get into a fight in the room. And, and then I storm out. And it'd be really funny. Yeah. And it'll shock him. And we're like, no, Mike, don't. It's cool. Don't, you know, that's all right. And he's like, no. and we're like, just stick to the pitch. He's like, okay, okay. So we get into the room. And as the pitch starts, he decides he's going to go down this road. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, we're talking about the movie. And he looks at me and goes, you know one thing about the movie? I think you guys never respected me. All you did was disrespect me the whole time. And we're like, Mike, what are you talking about? And he's dead serious. Yeah. He's like, you, dis- you guys disrespect me the whole time, and you disrespect me right now. And you're like, no, Mike. And these like, little TV executives were like sinking into the couch. Yeah. Because he stood up and started yelling at us. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, no, he's and doing like, it. And like he's we doing said, this. he can improvise, yeah. so he was going off. <laughs> he's doing this. And, so, uh, and the people were scared, and he's fucking yelling, and he finally storms out of the room, and he slams the door, and it was like one of those door slams that shakes the whole room. Yeah. And he left. Yeah. And we were sitting there and we're like, <laughs> just, he's just kidding you guys. He'll be back in one second. Yeah. And then he never came back. No. And he never came back. And we got out of that pitch and I called him and he was, and I was like, Mike, where the fuck are you? He goes, I'm on to 101. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm driving home. We're like, Mike, you know, we've talked about this before. You, you, you do a joke like that. You got to come and say, ha ha, I was just kidding. He goes, nope, that would be too easy. Mm-hmm. And so needless to say, we did not sell the show to ABC. No, we didn't. The funny <laughs> thing, too, about that particular snap is I remember that, like, it's those moments. It's kind of like when somebody's telling you a story about how they got mad at somebody and they actually start yelling at you and you're looking around at and you're like, he's not really yelling at me. He's telling me a story. Right. I'm just the example. Yeah. So, like, uh, when Michael Clark Duncan would look at you while he was yelling and ranting. Yeah. And you kind of had to improvise with him. But he's, like, in your face getting mad at you. And you know he's doing a bit, but it didn't feel that way. Yeah, not at all. And it went. It just would go on forever. Like he wanted all the artifacts from the movie. Yeah. And I remember, 
I remember it was a couple months before he died, and uh, we were emptying out the last storage space that had the last of the Slam and Salmon stuff in it. And I got there, and it had all the suits, you know, those alligator suits, skin oh, yeah. suits he wore, oh, which yeah. were great. And he loved them. Like, he, one weekend, he, he left and went to the Super Bowl and, uh, while we were shooting, and he took one of those suits. And the wardrobe woman didn't know where it went. You know? Yeah. And then we found out he took the suit and wore it to a party. Well, and then <laughs> we saw him on TV. Remember, <laughs> yeah, we saw him know. on TV. Like, they showed him in the crowd at the Super yeah. Bowl, and he was wearing the suit. We're yeah. like, holy shit. He's wearing his wardrobe. the fucking suit. Uh, but he was like, sweet. Uh, I called him up, and he was like, and I was like, do you want anything? Because I'm getting rid of this stuff. He's like, yeah, keep those suits for me. I want those suits. Yeah. And I was like, okay. He goes, and I'll, I'll come get them for you. The funny you. thing was, I remember that, like, when I went for my wardrobe fitting. Yeah. His suits were in there. Yeah. And for us, it was a game we would put on his suit mm-hmm. just to see how much it swam all over us. Like, yeah. When I put his suit on, I mean, it was like, it was like a little boy <laughs> trying on his dad's you know, business suit yeah. for work. Like, Fucking huge. The sleeves were past my hands. He's 6'6", 350 or whatever he was. Yeah. I mean, he was just gigantic. And the, and the funny thing was that he had actually lost 100 pounds. I know. Since, since the Green Mile. Yeah. And we found that out because actually it ties in. Yeah. We bought him as a welcome gift to the set, a thank you gift. Yeah. We bought him some Omaha steaks. That's right. We bought him Omaha steaks. And, and uh, I walked into his trailer, and I was like, did you get the gift? He's like, yeah, I got it. And it's like, hey, isn't it good? Like, Omaha steaks, right? He goes, I don't eat red meat. And we're like, what are you talking about? Because I don't eat steaks. And in our minds, we're like, what are you talking about? This guy doesn't eat steaks? Are you kidding me? And I said, why don't you eat him? He said, mad cow disease. I said, that's why he doesn't eat him. He's like, he doesn't get mad cow disease. I was like, oh, okay. Well, what'd you do with him? He said, I gave him to my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, so it's okay for her to get mad cow disease? But, uh, yeah. I remember he also told us that story about how he was so annoyed with his girlfriend because every night she would come home yeah. and she would have her earbuds in. Right. And she, she would just have her car. music cranking while she walked to the house and yeah. unlocked the door oblivious. Yeah. And he wanted to make a point right. that you should always be aware and he was telling us this story with such glee yeah. about he h- hid in the bushes <laughs> with a ski mask on his head and a fake gun yeah. in his hand. And she was walking to the house with her earbuds in, and he jumped on her right. and held her up at gun- gunpoint down on the ground right. and like yelled, did the whole thing, like, you know, I'm going to kill you, all that, give me all your money, everything. And then while, when she was like in tears, right. he pulled the mask off and was like, you see, baby, you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> Can you imagine that, that lesson? Uh, so anyway, I went and cleaned, cleaned the storage thing out. Oh, yeah. And um, so I brought the suits home to my house. And then two months later, he died. Shockingly. Like, we, like it was just shocking. Yeah. I mean, he was this big guy, and he had a heart attack. We knew he had a, he had, had a heart problem. He had a yeah. pacemaker. And, uh, and it was just a shocking thing. And yep. I had gotten a message from him, like, two weeks earlier about, you know, that I, I had on my phone still. And, yeah. And... Uh, and so to this day, I still have those suits. Oh, the suits are fantastic. They're in my closet. Because yeah. I, well, I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't want to th- throw them out. No, you I can't couldn't throw them out. Couldn't give them out. Couldn't give them to him. But, so I kept them. So I still have those suits. No, they're suits. fantastic. No, it was true. I mean, it's like we knew that. It was part of the Omaha Steaks thing. You know, he, he showed us the scar. He'd already had, you know, the open heart surgery. Yeah. And the pacemaker put it in. And when he told us the story, he got very emotional. Yeah. And this is right at the beginning. And it was, this was the gentle giant side of him. Yeah. It was a sad day when uh, when he passed away. The other the other, the the funny thing also is when he played the champ. We had we had our our friend Carrie Clifford, uh, who acted in the movie. Yeah, she played the hostess. Yep. And uh, you know the whole thing about him, the champ was supposed to like grope her inappropriately. Sure. Yeah. And so I remember he he didn't know 
how much he could get away with, and he felt really awkward about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was very much a, a sweetheart in that world, and that you know he could scare you, but at the same time, he did not want to grope her. Yeah. And Cliffy had to go to the point of like saying, "Here's what you can do. Yeah. You can touch me here and there, and do this and that." Oh, she like, said. I can't, I don't she know. said, "Grope me." Yeah. She said, "You can grab my breasts." Yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. Because that was the joke, and you know. It was the same thing when those little babies were there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he could not swear in front of those babies. Yeah. Like, he, I was like, Mike, the babies are, like, not even, like, a year old. They can't understand what you're saying. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything about fucking babies or fucking this or what the fuck or, you know, I'm not going to do any of that whatever motherfucker stuff Couldn't in front it. of those babies. And you're like, they won't know. And so we had to wait. We had to swap out the babies, put the dummy babies in. Yeah. And wait until we were on his side of the coverage. That you couldn't see the babies in his shot for him to swear, otherwise he wouldn't swear. It reminds me of another fun <laughs> riff when uh, it was, you know, because your character is married to the champ's sister. Yeah, and that's how you've been promoted to manager. And uh, I always, I, I loved the riff we had about his wedding toast. Yeah, to you guys, <laughs> and part, how it, inappropriate it would be. Yeah, and it was like you know, I, you know, I have, I have a particular nickname for him. I call him Cunty McTwat. <laughs> Why ain't nobody laughing? Is this thing on? We we just fucking loved those. Riffs. Okay, so good. Um, yeah, he was uh, Michael Clark. Duncan, He's great. great Rest in peace. But um, no, no. I mean, I mean, aside from Michael, the it was such a great cast. And you know, part of it, like we talked about, was the was the strike because um, everything was shut down. Right, all the TV shows were shut down, so actors were just sitting around. And we were shooting in LA, which we had never done before either. And um, so it was a matter of just calling people up, you yeah. Know? And it was for, from everyone from Forte, uh, or you know, Colby Smulders was another one. Colby Smulders was like the star of How I Met Your Mother, yeah. And and you could otherwise never get her to do a movie at that point. And they were dark. They went dark for two months, and so she, it was the perfect. It was like they went on strike. She joined us, and then the day we stopped shoot, we finished shooting. It was like the next day the strike was over. Yeah. <laughs> and she was able to go back to work. How I met your mother. She, she was such an unbelievable get. She was oh, another person God. like the champ. Yeah. Who we were like, I mean, this is this is somebody, first of all, we are all like, this is the most beautiful woman on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, she's she's uh, immensely successful. And then she, she showed up on the set and she was so cool. And she, she was, was able great. to improvise. And she also just went with it. Like there was yeah. a scene where we're all tackling uh, Jay's character and forcing pills down his throat. Yeah. And there's like a scrum of people, and then other dudes come in and tackle the scrum. <laughs> right. She was in the scrum, and she, she was kept in there. getting tackled. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, she was fantastic. Because like, I had met her. I had done How I Met Your Mother prior. And so I met her, and she was the nicest person. You know, those shows are hard when you go do those shows, and the cast is set, and they all know each other, and you're the guest person. Yeah. There's always like one or two people who are really welcoming and you know, appreciate the situation that you're in. And she was one of those. Who's very nice with a hug and a hey, welcome. We're psyched to have you. Blah blah blah. And then uh, we never thought we would get her. And then we had the auditions, and she came in for the auditions, and she fucking was great. Yeah, she's and, fantastic. And the great thing about her, and you see it now in the stuff that she does, but the great thing about her is she was so. It might have been from How I Met Your Mother, but she was so like on the ball. Like when you're making these movies, independent films, you don't get much time. You have much. You don't have much time to do takes or whatever it is. She was able to walk in, hit her mark, do the line perfectly mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. Every single time. But it was just a, an ensemble of great people that we were friends with, good friends with, and then people that we never worked with before, like Morgan Fairchild mm. and Lance Hendrickson. Oh, my God. The two of them. Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox was phenomenal as Nutella. Yeah. And, 
And yeah. Les Henriksen was a guy that we had always uh, uh, been a fan of. We yeah. loved every fucking thing he's in. Oh, my God. I bonded with Lance Henriksen so hard. I know. Although, ultimately, he broke my heart. Well. I mean, not really. But he did. Like, I would go and hang then out. Then he did the chew, though. He did, he did the podcast with us. We had a great chew in it great with him. Time. And it was so funny, though, because, like, he, you know, I would go out with him. He'd be like, you want to go out and smoke? I'd be like, I don't really. Cigarettes. Sm- uh, yeah. I don't smoke, <laughs> but I'll hang out with you. He was like, all right. And then he'd be smoking his, like, Indian spirit cigarettes, the one that take, like, a half hour to smoke. Yeah. And uh, we would talk about Stone Cold. <laughs> and, when, you know, I, I, he he's told me he was going to give me his, the vest he wore. Right. Like it was, you know, framed and he had, it was autographed and it had like chains and, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, but he I ne- think if you pressure him, you still could get him to give it to you. All right. Let's have him back on the on the on the podcast. But I mean, you know, he's got to have it somewhere in wh- wherever he lives, where we went to his house up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Morgan Fairchild, Morgan Fairchild, oh, who, Morgan Fairchild, who was trying to explain to me the ins and outs of the strike. Right, she uh, was of the. She was a representative. She was a, a like a union official. Yeah. So she was involved in the strike that was going on. Yeah, and so she was. I remember we were shooting, and so she was whisp. She was telling me about the strike, and we were. They were like, "And we're rolling," which means everybody has to keep their voices right. down. But she was rolling. She didn't yeah. want to stop telling me about the strike. <laughs> and so then she got in real close with the most boring of of conversations, but the dullest. Yeah. But she was whispering right in my ear, and it's like her lips and her breath were just. Tickling and tantalizing my earlobe, and I mean, this is Morgan fucking Fairchild. I know, and she's right there in my ear, on my earlobe, breathing into my ear about the most boring shit on the planet. Yeah, and I was so aroused. I sure, I was as a little, little hard on, right? Um, and who else? We had uh, Faxon, not Faxon, and Jim Rash. Yep, right. Uh, uh, went on to win Oscars themselves. Yes, uh, they were both in it, and then. Um, Jay's cousin, Sendel Remmermurthy, who was at the time on Heroes, yep. came and did a part. And with his uh, on his fiance on screen was Olivia Munn, mm-hmm. who uh, that was one of her first movies, one yeah. of her first movies. They were fantastic. They were fucking great. Uh, and then Gaffigan, of course, came. Gaffigan was great because it was like, you know, we called him up and he's like, I'm there. Yeah. You know, he he had had such a good time doing super troopers and 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 he's like i'm in, whatever you guys want i'm in and he came and he did that that part he played a character named andy bellin he did you're right yeah you're right <laughs> that's fucking great yeah and then kenneth smith came back from beer fest and uh philippe came back oh uh, yeah who, philippe. who was in super troopers the german guy in beer fest and mike weaver from super troopers mike weaver mike Yurichek, and then in the opening scene carla gallo and jeff chase who were great and we had our, and April Bowlby. She was just great. And she's a great story because she was one of those things that we bitch about all the time. She was a pre-read. Yeah. She was somebody who came in and um, we had no idea who she was. She read for the casting director uh, without any of us there. And then the casting director, Wendy O'Brien, who was great, uh, brought her to our attention. Yeah. And she came in and she won that part. She won it. And there are bigger actresses that were going for it and whatever it was. And she... On top of being, you know, funny and a great actress, and she did the thing that we all do in these things, and we did. She and it worked out all right. Like we all go in and we lie about what yeah. our skills are, and we needed that character to have ballet background, and she said she did, and we believed her, and it turns out she did. She yeah. really was a ballet dancer, yeah. And we put that to the test, but you know, if if she had been lying to us, like we we all do, we all do. We we could have been fucked. By oh yeah, no. My special skills on my resume still. <laughs> yeah. It says I'm I, I uh, I'm excellent in calf roping. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. Get all those cowboy parts? Uh, yeah, calf roping. Yeah, I mean, like, I can ride a horse <laughs> and fucking rope a calf. That's what it says I can do. Uh, God, I hope I never get one of those. Roles. I know. But um, she got a ballet row. But that and that ballet scene, I think, is one of the best scenes we've ever put on film. Oh, great! Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I, I mean, love she's that fantastic. scene. Fantastic. It was it. That's a that's a parlor scene in the sense it was all choreographed. Yeah, and uh, drawn out and, and to the point where you know where she gets hit in the face with the soup. Yeah, and becomes <laughs> soup face. And becomes soup face. Uh, but I think she's gorgeous in that ballet scene. I oh mean, no, she she's did such an amazing job. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the other funny thing that I think is that like we had. Uh, there was one actor. He plays one of the British uh, guys when uh, Soder's character goes yeah. up. And, Sam Redford and and talks to him. Yeah, and we knew him because he was you know he's he was married to somebody that somebody we were friends we knew, with. I think yeah. But then many many years later, yeah, he showed up as a character on Game of Thrones. <laughs> he did, and we were all like, "Who the fuck is that guy? Looks yeah. very familiar." Oh, that's Sam Redford. Yeah, but you know they all look different in Game of Thrones. You know? Yeah, but he was like it was like <laughs> he was a soldier. At the Battle of Blackwater in right. the castle, I think he gets killed. Well, they all quickly. got killed. Yeah, and yeah, he, but he was the voice of reason, which was don't let that right. dude, that guy, don't in. open that fucking door. Right, that spells certain doom. <laughs> and then he got aced. And they yeah, all, it's Sam Redford. They all got killed. From the slamming salmon. Um, That's fun though when you see those guys. You know, like Mark Evan Jackson, who now you see in everything and was in our podcast, and you see him in every commercial now. Yeah, and he was. Uh, and then he was in Kong yeah. Skull Island. But anyway, I mean, it was a fun cast because the way it worked is that every day somebody new would show up. Because it was such a, a vignette thing, like there were so many little vignettes that happened, and and uh, and it was always fun every day having fun people on set. The funny thing too is that we were shooting on a soundstage, and so we built yeah uh, we built the set. Yeah, the guy Eric Schultz, our production designer, he, he yeah, built it, and then and then it got stricken. And I think <clears throat> well, because also the idea was, do you shoot it in a restaurant? Yeah, or what's going to be the best cost effective way? And we found a studio, we found a, a soundstage in Van Nuys. Uh, that we were able to get for a pretty good price, and then this guy just built the restaurant yeah. inside of it, and it was fantastic. And uh, it turns out it was on the uh, Eric Schultz. It was where they shot the highest grossing porno movie of all time. Sure, which was <laughs> I think Butt Pirates of the Caribbean. It was it, it it was often used, I guess, as a porn studio. And as yeah. we were leaving, we were striking our set. We were breaking our set down. And I think they were putting the pirate shit up. Oh, they pirate shit. I think they were putting the pirate ship up. You could, I mean, you could make a case that you could say they were putting the pirate shit up too. <laughs> right, right. But they were putting the pi- the pirate stuff up. They were, and yeah. uh, they were about to shoot the sequel <laughs> yeah, to Pirates of the <laughs> Butt Pirates of the Caribbean at World's Rear End. I think it was, yeah, it was something like that. And uh, yeah, it was just you know kind of funny, a funny little thing. We we're just shooting our porn stage. Um, I liked that uh, you're. We've told this story a few times, but like the plot of you. Uh, swallowing the diamond ring, yeah, and pooping it out was based on a real life experience. Yeah, that happened to us, which was when uh, when we were making beer fest. Yeah, we were playing all kinds of different drinking games, practicing, just practicing and and researching and uh, and having a good time and mm-hmm. riffing. <laughs> and uh, while playing quarters, one time you swallowed a quarter by accident. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, then we were on quarter watch. <laughs> we right. wanted to know how long it was going to take that quarter to make it through your body. Yep. And we wanted to know that, like, when the quarter came out, was George Washington going to have a, a look of horror on his face? <laughs> uh, and then that made it into Beer Fest. Yeah. Uh, in this, in the shooting script, anyway, and and uh, made it as far as the the uh, prop guy actually uh, creating a quarter 
with a horrified ex- George Washington, especially right. in a large quarter. That's right. So it that didn't make it in. Didn't make it into Beer Fest. Didn't make it in. No. But then we decided that, that could be a good plot point for, uh, for your character. Right. We made the ring, the thing about swallowing the ring, based on that. Yeah. And your character had a real-life story from your real-life waiting days. Your Connor Rose character does some... Some true shit right there. Some autobiographical shit yeah, right there. Yeah, Connor Rose. So back when we made Puddle Cruiser, I was still working at City Crab, and we got a TV deal. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these TV deals, sometimes you get, you get a little money up front, and at the end, at the end of a, a predetermined period of time, usually a year, there's something called a kill fee, which is like if you, if you, make the, if you turn the show into a pilot, you get paid a salary, and if you don't make it, they give you... A penalty fee, which is basically, it's just a bonus. It's like a, hey, go away bonus. Here you go. You made some money on this thing. And so, you know, we had a little money in our pockets, and I thought we were going to go out to Hollywood and and write the script. And so... Hit the big time? In a blaze of glory. (laughs) I I waited until the manager fucked with me. Right. Right. You got to. And then I quit. Yeah. In a blaze of glory, I shoved some coleslaw down my pants. (laughs) And told everyone to fuck off as I left the sure. restaurant. Sure. And uh, what happened was that a uh, year went by. We never actually got around to writing the script. Uh-huh. Like, we never got commenced to write it. As things would happen. And <laughs> as it turns out, that was the loophole. Like, the whole time, I was like, well, at least I know I'm going to get one-fifth of this nice penalty fee right. uh, in a year's time. So I was racking up credit card debt. And uh, what happened was there was a loophole in the yeah. contract. Yeah. Something I felt a lawyer inside the group should have spotted. My job. Bro. But certainly the lawyer that we were paying to negotiate the deal sure. should have spotted and sure. told us about, which was that if they never commenced us to write the script, if we never wrote word one, right. then we didn't get the penalty fee. And that's exactly the scenario <laughs> that unfolded. And so after a year of living extravagantly on credit cards, we were told that we weren't going to get any of that money. Sure. I, didn't, I, I think I was living at home at that time. I mean, I had moved home or something like yeah. that. Like, so I didn't have that problem. But, yeah, I had that problem. But you, you know. I had that problem. And so you had to go back to that restaurant and ask for your job back. Tail between my legs. Tail between the legs. And, uh, but luckily, they gave me that job they back. They did. And you worked there for another couple of years. I worked there for three more years. <laughs> three long Jeez. years. And the funny thing was that, like, when I first worked there, my first time, I really enjoyed waiting tables. Yeah. It was daily comedy. You'd have like some bonehead customers. You'd have tons of things going wrong. Sure, you'd have, a lot of cash in your pocket. You'd walk out of there with cash on your pocket, and plus it was like it was young guys and young girls, mostly artists or students, but just people struggling to yeah. to make ends meet and who were probably like looking at some other career right. that they had in mind. Dreamers, right. people with dreams, and right. And every night we'd go out mm-hmm. and we'd all party together and we'd relive the the. We'd all have great stories from the shifts. Yeah. And, you know, you'd spend half your money, and then you'd wake up, and you'd, and you'd do it all again. <laughs> right. Uh, and, but then the second time I came back, <laughs> I was miserable. Your second tour of duty? I was miserable. <laughs> I came back. Now I think I was, like, 27 yeah, or something like that. And, I mean, we had made a movie that had gone to Sundance, but it didn't sell. Sure. And, like, the expectations had been high, and now it was just like, holy shit, what am I going to do? I dropped out of college. Yeah. And uh, now the smile was gone. Yeah. And I remember, like, I remember one time I had these customers who said, you know, it was these two girls. They said, you're a pretty cute guy. You'd be a lot cuter if you just smiled sometime. <laughs> That's the funny thing is that we took that story and we made that your story in the movie. Yeah. Which became very funny that you had this character that had come back between your, with your tail between your legs. Yeah. 
and then because you had fired off a TV show, and then the actual producing uh, producer and actors came to that restaurant to eat, and you had to wait there on their table. Yeah, which was you know like a funny premise. And this was something that had uh, that had happened was that uh, something I, I won't name exactly what it was, but our film had played someplace, and uh, some people who were very instrumental. Uh, in the life of that movie at this at this uh, festival, um, wound up coming to eat in the restaurant. Yeah, just after our movie had played there <laughs> and been like the toast of the of the festival. Right, and uh, they showed up and I was their waiter and I was fucking embarrassed to go over there, but they didn't recognize me out of that context. Okay, and, and they did were, you ever laid on them at any point? No, I no? never laid it on them. Okay. And they were a little bit rude. Yeah, <laughs> they ran me around, and they kind of like you know the food. It was like it's like undercover boss or whatever. Things weren't working perfectly <laughs> that night uh, for me for this waiter, and right. uh, they were a little bit uh, crusty with sure the old lem dog. But yeah, my character in that in the movie, he's uh, he got fired because he had been hired because he had a gigantic nose. Right, and the, and the part called for a detective with a big nose. Yeah, and uh, and then what happened is that my character then. Be- he got the money now, and he gets a nose job, and he shows up with a little tiny nose. Right. And they kill him off. And they fire him. And they and hire a guy with a big nose. And they hire an actor named Steve Lemaducci <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to come with the big nose. To replace This him. is the shit you guys can see if you watch the movie. You should watch the movie. It's watch, a great the, movie. watch the movie. And the funny thing is, so the guy who played Steve Lemaducci. Yeah. Uh, Avi Rothman. Avi. Yeah. He already had a big nose. Yeah. And so then the question was like, like... My nose had to be pretty big. Yeah. But then we wanted him to have a fucking honk. Yeah, a gigantic a nose. beak. Right. And, and so and we actually did, we shot it. We put a prosthetic nose on him and we shot it. Yeah. And then we got the footage back and I didn't think the nose was big enough. No. And then we got, there's a little internal broken lizard argument. Yeah. Because people didn't want, I think, I don't know who, Jay, somebody didn't want to go too cartoony. Yeah. And I was like, I think you got to kind of go over the top in yeah. order to make the joke work. Yeah. And so we brought him back in and we reshot his coverage. Yeah. With an even bigger nose a on. Fucking <laughs> a fucking honker. A fucking honker. A bigger big nose. Oh, yeah. Which is funny. But, you know, I, I, I like to push in that, uh, push in that a little bit. Yeah, know? it was... It was. Um, but the other guy's characters were great, too. I mean, Soder's character was basically... We had written the script, and we had the, uh, the character of the chef, and then we had the character of the trainee. And they, neither of them were substantial enough, necessarily, for uh, one of the members of Broken Lizard. Yeah. And I think there was a conversation, well, why don't we... Combine them and make those guys twin brothers. Yeah, and then you just play both of them. He loved. I mean, and I think he loved that. It's such a fun exercise as an actor. Yeah, and and we did it old school, uh, in that kind of parent trap kind of, you know, uh, goofy kind of split screeny way. We 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 wanted to try to do that. And so yeah. we have like think there are three split screens in the sh- in the scenes in the movie. Well, and, I mean, they have uh, a fight with each other at one yeah, point, which is great. And so and, it was fun to. It was really fun to do that. It was uh, funny because we had done, we had, you know, this wasn't the first time we had walked down the twin road. No. We had gone down that with Landfill and Landfill 2. That's with right. Phil and Gil Crundle. That's right. But this was the first time they were going to appear on screen together. That's right. But I like that. And then Jay's character, obviously, Zongo, was a blast. And I think he had a good time, too, because he just, he didn't have to worry so much about directing. He just kind of cut loose and uh, went crazy over the course of the, of the run. Yeah. And then Slohansky got to play the dick. Which yeah. he didn't he didn't necessarily get to do right, but we had a hairdo he had a hairdo issue right. Well, it was funny because like he was you know you, you tend you just tend to let actors you know pick their own character make their own choices and everything. Yeah, but I remember what he was telling me and he was telling all of us that like his choice for that character almost kind of sounded like 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 a San Diego aggro guy. It was like right. he was going to have like like shaved head on the sides and then a, like kind of like a, a ponytail on the top. Yeah. 
And it wasn't the way we... It was almost written. like an Asian man bunny type of look he was going yeah. to go for. And yeah. it wasn't... We had written the character when we riffed it. His name was Guy. He talked like this. We were like, yeah, we're going to get a leather couch with a velvet dick hole in it. You know, <laughs> right, it was like, right. That was the way we had written it. And he was going in a different way. Right. And I remember, like, I called him up because he was going to get his hair cut. And I called him up the, the night before he got his hair cut. Yeah. Which I think was the day before we were going to start shooting. Yeah. And I said, Mink, I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't agree with the choice you're making. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like walking to, uh, we got to the set the next day. Mm-hmm. And like, and I told him that like the, the kind of guy I thought he was supposed to be like a cheesier kind of guy. Yeah. But I remember like I got on set the next day and I went to visit you in your, uh, in your dressing room. Right. And he was in there with you, and right. he was—he had just tattled on me <laughs> about how I had gotten into. I think his it was the—it was the first day of shooting, right? It was the first day of shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had gotten into his head, and I had rattled him. Right. And now he didn't know what to do. Right. And I was—I walked in on that conversation, and then you know I described again what I thought he should do. Yeah. And then we went in. I remember being in the the hair and makeup room. Yeah, it was Karen Houston. She was the she was the hair person, and she she came up with that haircut. Yeah. It, she saved she saved it because. I think she came up with something that everyone liked. Well, she it was the whole blow-dried look. Yeah. Because he was an orange, fake tan kind of guy. Right. Like, you know, white teeth kind of guy. Yeah. And I remember, like, it was like one of those things when, like, you see, like, on those shows, like, on, like, Wendy Williams. Yeah. When they're like, we gave this busted-ass housewife <laughs> a makeover. Right, right, right. And they, it's like they see themselves for the first time and, like, they don't want to smile because they're, sure. they're so repressed. They're not used to uh, expressing <laughs> happiness. <laughs> and, like, Stolhansky was like, you could see him, like, his mouth trembling into a smile because his hair looked so fucking good. Right, right. And that character came alive. It did. It did. He was so good. Yeah. That was a great thing for him. You know, I had a psychological thing, which is, like, when you wait tables long enough... You have white waiter nightmares. Yeah. Like a lot of waiters talk about this. Like you have waiter dreams, the most common of which is you are, the hostess just keeps seating you one table after the other. Right. And you're getting slammed and nobody else is. Like that guy in Syracuse? Has any tables. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I used to have one all the time. It was like I either had like six or eight tables, all eight tops. Yeah. And the hostess just keeps seating me, keeps seating me, keeps, and you're in the fucking weeds. Right, right. Like that was a common one. And uh, I, I had one with foreigners. Okay. Where I was in the weeds, and these foreigners were like, we would like some lemons and vinegar for dessert. (laughs) And, like, I didn't know where to find fucking lemons or vinegar for dessert. And I had another one, which was I would be, I would have to walk up the stairs of Grand Central Station with a tray. Yeah. And a cup of hot cocoa. Okay. Filled to the rim. And And not spill? And I couldn't not spill it. It was just (laughs) spilling all over the sauce. (laughs) Right. These were the waiter dreams I always had. Okay. And I remember that, like, when I stopped, I had them every single night by yep. the end. And when I stopped waiting tables, after like a few months, they went away. Oh, my God. It sounds like a night. And now remember, like, I, literally, literally, I, it was. I had dropped out of college. Whenever I started to stress out about money or career, I would have a waiter nightmare. Okay. And then they, it finally went away again. We were a little more you know, established. And then I remember the day we went in to try on the wardrobe when I was you yep. know, fucking around with uh, Michael Clark Duncan's suit. Yeah. I tried on my waiter uniform for right. the first time. Made by Trisha Gray. They were great. Those are great uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, you know, the first time in like 10 years. Yeah. Uh, putting on an apron. Yeah. And uh, I tied it. I tied the apron. I was like, God, this seems way too familiar. <laughs> putting this thing on. And that night I went home and I had a fucking waiter nightmare. Oh, my God. And then I had waiter nightmares through the filming of this movie. Triggered you. It triggered you. Dude, I hate it. I still have, when I'm feeling really insecure, I'll still have a waiter nightmare. Jesus. From time to time. That I go back and I pick up a couple of shifts and people are like, dude. Did you make all those movies? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just researching another role. 
Mm-hmm. Slam and Salmon too. God. A couple of um, things I remember was uh, writing our uh, Eye of the Tiger sp- yeah. song. Yeah, that, that end credits thing was a lot of fun to make because... You know, we we were always huge fans of uh, Rocky Three and and the way it ended with you know Apollo and Rocky punching each other and their freeze frames before the punches hit each other's faces. You know, you don't know who got the best of it or whatever. Yeah. And then it would turn into a Leroy Neiman painting. You know. And so we really wanted to do that again because you know the champ uh, has Guy in his office and he's going to beat the shit out of him, and we wanted to end it with that, paying homage to that. And so um, we went to great lengths to try to do that. So like we. We shot the punch, and we did a little trick where uh, what we did is we started with the champ's hand on Guy's face yeah, and then reversed the footage. So he pulled back, for, and then we reversed it so it looks like he's punching him in the face. Yeah. And then um, uh, and then we had my brother, Mike Heffernan, who's an artist. Uh, he painted a Leroy Neiman version of that frame, which I still have. I'm looking which, at it. Which MCD always wanted. I would lie about it. He's like, I want that painting. I was like, yeah. I don't know where it is, champ but it's hanging in my office. Yeah. And my brother did it as a Leroy Neiman painting. And, uh, and then uh, we did the same sound effects. Like we, we copied the sound effects and then we needed the song mm-hmm. and, and it was always going to be Eye of the Tiger. And then, you know, for our under $5 million movie, you couldn't afford it. Couldn't even come close to affording that song. Yeah. And so uh, we wrote uh, a ripoff yeah. called Cry of the Cougar. Cry of the Cougar. And then we hired this guy uh, to come in and sing it. And um, uh, in that in that style yeah. of the of the survivor of the eighties whatever, and uh, so he came in and did cry the cougar, and we attributed it to the band Earthcock. Earthcock was the was the name of the band that we named. Yeah, and then he you know, and then so we put that all together. Which it was, was funny shooting the punch that way because a real punch from Michael Clark Duncan would have killed Stolhansky. Well, because he did really punch him. He, he really punched him in that lineup scene. Yeah, and, and we put a pad in Stolhansky's stomach. Because it's when he's like working his stomach, and then he gives one last punch to the stomach, and we're like, "Mike, don't really hit him; just pull it." But he didn't. He punched him in the fucking stomach. Yeah, <laughs> and a couple of shots in the ribs too. Yeah, Stolhansky took his <laughs> which bumps is true in that one, which is true. Uh, but our crew was great. Uh, I would be remiss to not mention Rob Baracci, who was our DP, mm-hmm. who was fun to work with. Baracci was a longtime friend of ours. We should have the podcast sometime. Yeah, uh, but we got to do a lot of tricks in there. You know, we we were able to map out how we wanted to shoot it and then build the set accordingly. So we we would have removable walls and we'd have portals in the walls that you could put cameras through and. Uh, we were able to kind of design the lighting as you wanted it, and it was a lot of fun to, to kind of put that shit together with Barachi. Yeah. Um, and then I remember, like, when we promoted the movie. Yeah. We had uh, we had a fun time. We went to City Crab. Yeah. Which was, you know, that that restaurant itself was the was the model for the giant seafood restaurant, and we had a uh, a, a seafood a salmon chowder eating contest there. Which, in retrospect, maybe was not the best idea to do uh, chowder eating. Speed chowder eating. Well, the funny thing is, is I don't really know who we were doing it for. It was press. Yeah. It but was like, a press stunt. But it, so there were like, did like the New York Post come? Like, no, there came? was like some local TV. Okay. And like we were on the morning show that morning. One of right. those morning shows. Remember we were, we sat around and ate some chowder at a table. Yeah. And we filmed it. And then it was, we had those guys who were the big... Yeah, professional we, eaters like the Kobe, whatever that guy's name is, but not Kobayashi. him, but the other guys we eat against. Them. We had crazy legs. Yeah, Eddie something. We, I can't remember what those guys' names were. It's yeah. terrible. But anyway, we had the some of the top guys, and then uh, uh, that was the publicity stunt. And then we threw in some other people. Well, uh, did Dave, you do it? No, I didn't do it. But Dave I, Rose, I didn't do it. 
Dave Rose, who's yeah. a friend of yours from City Crowd, from City Crowd, right. Rose of Dave he Rose. did it, and um, and so it was disgusting. It, it was, was like speed disgusting. eating clam chowder. It was fucking gross. Salmon chowder. It was crazy. I guess you're right. It was salmon it was chowder. Salmon chowder. You're right, you're and right. it was disgusting. You're right. Uh, but yeah, also uh, just some of the crew guys we had uh, was Brad Caster, editor, and then Swanee, who we had on the podcast. Mark Swanhart. Yep. He choreographed that ballet scene, mm-hmm. and then my brother Pat, of course, yep. was our key grip. Will you tell the Pat Heffernan story to, to close us out? Yeah. Uh, you know, a, 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 as you can tell, it's very much a family. We like to use a lot of the same guys. David, our sound guy. So, you know, a lot of the same guys. And so yeah. it was very much a family. And we have our ways on set that we like to do. <laughs> our traditions. And uh, one of the more juvenile things that we do is we like to, you know, have a little fart wars on the set. Yeah. Where, you know, you will you might, you know, like Baracci will be bending down to, you know, put a tape mark on the floor for the camera and... While he's bending down, you might turn around and blast a fart in his face. Right in his face. Right in his face. And, uh, and so we, for years we've done that. From our first movies, we would have fart wars. <laughs> really juvenile shit, right? But it's, like, but it's look, wonderful. It's wonderful, especially like if you get a guy, if you place your crack literally <laughs> on the side of his face, if you can make contact and hit him <laughs> with a fart, that's number one. That's great. And, that, and, I, and we that's, did that. That's a grand slam. We did that to people you know, all the way around. And... Um, so I remember there was one day, uh, it, the, you know, the game was full-fledged. It had started full-fledged. Everyone's farting at each other in Simon Sam. And um, so there was one morning, and we were shooting the Japanese scene where the Japanese people come in, and the champ sits at the table with them, and they if do that thing. They with candy and nuts. And we had this great actress, Smith Cho, who was playing the interpreter, who was fucking great, funny. She only shot for one day. That was the day. Um, so anyway, it was morning, and um, you know, I'd had my breakfast burrito or whatever it was, and I was ready to fucking play the fart game. Yeah. And the first guy I see is Pat, my brother Pat, right? You can do any kind of jokes with him, Anything. right? So um, I, he comes up to me. I, I kind of I, – he bends down to do some work, and I'm fucking blasting him. I blast him right in the face. And as I do, I look up. And there is this actress, Smith Cho, who had just reported to set. And her first vision is of the director farting in the face of a crew member. <laughs> yeah. And, just- and we made eye contact, and I was like, oh. And then, you know, we had to explain, you know, oh, we do this game. And she's like, okay, okay. Let's just, let's just uh, explain. <laughs> let's just clarify everything here. Here's the deal. Smith Cho was a very classy lady. Very classy. Very funny. Elegant, very talented. demure. Very talented. Talented person. Yeah. And the director of a film is also supposed to, you know, you might not think it from the headlines you're Respectable. seeing these days. The director really steers the ship. Yeah. And he's supposed to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And he is supposed to be cool to everyone. <laughs> and certainly you maybe don't, you maybe. don't expect to walk on a set and watch him <laughs> fart in the face of the key grip uh, loudly. There are worse things that there are there are worse things. There are worse things that they I could do. There are worse things that fart on a crew member or two. It's the worst thing. There are worse things you can see a director do to somebody than fart on them. You're goddamn right. But I'm happy to say I I did it. Okay. But anyway, so anyway, that was a funny thing. But so anyway, just a quick. We finished the movie. Um, and what we did is we got hit punched right in the face of we finished it in 2009 and that was the recession year and nobody was buying movies <laughs> so we made it independently we brought it to Slamdance and I think like one movie got bought at Sundance and Slamdance that year because nobody had any money and so we got kind of got screwed by the timing of it all 
and um, we sold it to a company after the fact, and then they did what what was kind of like what they decided these new kind of mid to when I I've had a couple movies have done this now, but kind of mid range movies or low budget movies where they'll they'll do like a a very limited release, yeah, and then and then dump it into uh, video so they try to make the money back or whatever. And so um, the company wanted to do that style, and um, they released it in December of 2009 uh, against Avatar. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that movie before. Perf. Just keeping up our string of, uh, <laughs> of tiny movies we compete against on opening weekend. Did you ever hear of that movie, Avatar? Never. It's the highest grossing movie ever. <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> and so... Um, uh, so the company didn't do a very good job. They put it out, uh, and um, and I think that that's a reason why a lot of the folks out there haven't seen it. So yeah. what is it? What's good to us is for people to go watch it now because yeah. it's it's as good as any Broken Lizard movie. And if you're a Broken Lizard fan, you're going to love it. But you just have to go see well, it. Well, then we, you know we we sold it to Comedy Central, mm-hmm. and uh, which meant that you know other places like HBO and Cinemax, Showtime couldn't have it. That's right. Yeah. And so you know and. Um, they, you know, haven't played it that much, but no, it's, it's I think movie. they. I don't even think. I think their windows over, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but you can get it on. You can you can watch it on Amazon. You can watch yeah. it on Netflix or whatever. So, go get it, Chew Crew. Go if you haven't seen the Slam and Salmon, do yourself a favor. You'll see all those actors that you'd love in the same vein of humor, just in a different world with new yeah. characters. Right? It's fun. Damn right. It's a great movie. Damn right. I love it. It's a romp. Um. All right. So anyway. That is our uh, homage episode to the Slammin' Salmon. Uh, do yourself a favor and go check it out. All right. Let's wrap this up then, Kev. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. All right, Chew Crew. Thanks. Chew. Hey, have a good Thanksgiving. I don't know if we're going to do an episode next week, but uh, we might take Thanksgiving off. To give thanks to the Chew Crew? Well, yeah. In that case, I give thanks to the Chew Crew. Okay. But maybe we'll be back. I can't. Who knows? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. What are you going to eat on the way out? Ooh, salmon, bro. I'm, you eat salmon. I'm going to eat boneless pork chops. Okay, from Omaha Steaks. At OmahaSteaks.com <laughs> using the code CHEW. C-H-E-W. Just go to the search box, C-H-E-W. Throw it in 75% there. 75% off. All right. Just chew it on the way out. Mm. Mm. Oh, my oh, God. good. It's delish. Oh, my God. What's the And healthy. It's healthy, too. This is delicious. Um, thanks, Chew Crew. We'll talk to you next week. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com. <laughs>